Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Had a number of comments about the sport coat. (laughs) Married, buried, or Jesus' birthday. That's the the occasion. Um, Thank you so much for choosing to worship with us here this morning, the family of Grace Community Church. My name is Pastor Brooks, and just uh, welcome you this morning. But we want to celebrate the coming of our Savior, uh, the Advent season. So let's uh, join together in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the sending of your Son. And as we celebrate his birth and his triumph over sin and over death on the cross, we pray that you, your Holy Spirit, would touch our hearts this morning and remind us the reason for the season. And remind us, Lord, the significance of Jesus coming, his incarnation, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us to take the sins of the world upon himself. We pray this morning as the scripture is read and as we sing and as we hear the singing, Lord, that our hearts would be pointed towards you and that Christ, that you would be exalted in everything that happens this morning. We want to celebrate you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here we are. It is Christmas Eve. We're going to talk about the reason for the season. Now, the graphic here is a Christmas wreath, but it's not what you expect as a Christmas wreath. I mean, if you walked up to a home and they're going to host a holiday party and you knocked on the door and you saw that wreath on the door, that probably would concern you if you didn't know the context, if you didn't know the context. But knowing the context, I'm assuming most of you recognize the wreath is actually a crown of thorns. You go, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I get it. But it's not what you expect. It's not what you expect. So the Advent season, it's the four Sundays before leading up to Christmas Eve. And we do the Advent candles here and we light the candles. We have the scripture reading. It's a four-week season in the church calendar dedicated to anticipating, that's a key word, anticipating the arrival, the arrival or the advent. The word advent means coming or arrival. Anticipate the advent of Jesus of Nazareth, the long-awaited Messiah and the King. And all of the scriptures that you, that you listen to as the choir, between the songs and the choir, they all pointed to the coming, the coming of, of the King. And advent is about anticipation. It is about anticipation of that arrival. So how many kids do we have here? Anybody under the age of, oh, I don't know, 75? Kids? 80? 90? We have a lot of kids here, and this is a family sit together, so you have the little ones. We even had a baby that's right here in the front row that on cue, on cue, the moment they said the Christ was born from the reading, the kids started crying. It was I got immediately emotional right afterwards. Hard to believe, I know. But it's, it's about anticipation, and especially for kids. And parents, we hype this up. We hype this up. We make this season all about, are you ready for Christmas? I, I couldn't help it. I see little kids come in. I'm like, are you ready for Christmas? And I'm asking the parents, do you do the Christmas Eve thing or the Christmas morning? What do we do? We get the kids all jacked up. They're all hyped up. They're all ready. They're anticipating Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And everybody's excited. It's all about anticipation. And it's not just the kids. It's not just the kids. Right after Thanksgiving, we, we have this holiday where we get together and we feast with family, we feast with friends, and we give thanks. And as soon as Thanksgiving hits, the Christmas music starts playing in, on the radio stations. And, and actually, they start 
Wall Street starts pushing Christmas buying way, way, way before Thanksgiving. But it's another anticipation. We are culturally conditioned to anticipate the coming of Christmas. Even for those who know, have no, no idea what Christmas is all about, there is a sense that where our culture builds this into us where we are anticipating, anticipating something Something to come, to come. Now, with kids, it's easy enough. What do they anticipate? Kids, what are you anticipating? <laughs> we didn't work this out in advance, right? <laughs> They're anticipating presents. It's, they don't buy the whole, it's more blessed to give than receive thing that, that, we, uh, that we, we read earlier. Um, that's, that, they're anticipating presents. They're anticipating presents. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? The assumption is that whatever we're anticipating will make everything right. Everything that we're anticipating, we assume, the assumption is it's going to make everything right. Two problems with that. Number one, what if what comes doesn't actually fulfill? Okay. I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, but I'm going to prophesy right now. These kids that are going to be all excited tomorrow morning as they tear into their presence are going to be bawling and throwing their toys by 2 p.m. tomorrow. (laughs) It it isn't going to last. It isn't going to last. And you know this. You know this. And as adults, we anticipate the coming of this promotion or this adult toy that we're going to buy or, or this new relationship. We anticipate a whole lot of things that we think once we get that thing or those things, everything is going to be right in the world and it never is. Yeah, there's the, there's the, the euphoria of, of, of the, that you have in that new relationship or that new thing or that new job, but it never lasts. It never lasts. So problem number one, what we anticipate comes and it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't bring us lasting joy. Problem number two, what if what you hope for doesn't actually arrive? What if what you are anticipating, you were banking on, you were hoping, and, and you, you open that present under the tree and it's underwear. <laughs> it's socks. Kids, this is, we're going to do, do a poll. If you're a kid, I want you to listen. Well, adults too, because you all were kids at one time, right? How many of you were excited on Christmas morning and you opened a package and it was underwear or socks and you were, you were disappointed? <laughs> Everyone in the history of Christmas that opened underwear is disappointed, except for old guys. Once, once you're older, oh, finally, I got a, got a new pair of underwear. <laughs> Priorities change, right? Priorities change. So it's all about anticipation. It's all about anticipation. One of my favorite holiday movies is Christmas Vacation. Do we have any Christmas Vacation fans? I know we have at least two Christmas Vacation fans because we have a guy sitting in the back. I'm not going to call him out by name. But he and his son are dressed identically as Clark Griswold. In that picture, they literally have that outfit on right there. So those of you that understand and you've seen the movie, you know what's happening here. 
So Clark is, is anticipating, first of all, he loves the whole get together. He's sentimental. He's traditional. He loves the whole family coming together and he's all excited. He goes out and he digs up his own tree. Um, it just, it's an awesome movie. And he's anticipating something else for Christmas. Okay, what is the, what is the gift that he is anticipating? Do you remember? It's a Christmas bonus. And what's he going to do with said Christmas bonus? Swimming pool. Okay, I went online and I googled this because I'm a nerd. I wanted to know how much that value was. So they did the research. This is 1989. So to build a below ground fiberglass pool that you see him dreaming about when he's, it's late at night and he's looking out in the backyard, to build that pool and then... And then on top of that, fly all of his extended family back to dedicate that pool in the summer would cost at least 25 grand in 1989. So a lot more now, a lot more now, but this is a lot of money. And he is banking on this and he is excited about this. And he's checking the mail and the mail's not coming. The bonus is not there. He's waiting and he's waiting. And then on Christmas Eve, as the family is celebrating, there's a knock at the door and there's a telegram guy and he delivers this and he said it fell between the seats, sorry. And he's like, oh, he's so excited. And he, he spills the beans to the whole family. I wasn't going to tell you, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a pool. I'm going to fly all of you there. And he opens it. And what is it? It's a jelly of the month club. And then my favorite character in all of the Chris, or the Chris, cousin Eddie there <laughs> drinking his Meister brow. He says, Clark, it's the gift that gives the whole year round. <laughs> and Clark loses it. He absolutely loses it. Why does he lose it? Because he didn't get what he was anticipating. The arrival, the advent of his savior the Savior being the $25,000 bonus that was going to get him the pool that was going to make everything awesome, didn't come. Oh, he got something, but it wasn't what he expected. It wasn't what he was spe- expected, and he lost it. He lost it. What about the disciples? What were they expecting? The, you, know, we're, we, you know, we go through this whole Christmas reading from, from start to finish, from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah 9, verse 6, and then we look at all these different Old Testament prophecies, and then we read the story in Luke, and then we read the story in Matthew, and we have the entire picture. And oh, and by the way, we also read the end of the book of Matthew, the end of the book of John, the end of the book of Mark, the end of the book of Luke, and we know that the end of the story is Jesus goes to the cross, he dies, he's buried, and he's resurrected, and he's going to come again. So we have all of that information in hindsight. They did not. So I want you to picture what these first Christians, these first people that were awaiting the arrival of the Messiah, what were they expecting? I, want, I know it's impossible because we're doing this in hindsight, but pretend you don't have any knowledge of the person of Jesus. You only have the Old Testament. You only have that. What were they expecting? Well, let's just take a look. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 9, and I'm just going to read not all of chapter 9, but up through verses 1 through 6. This is the traditional Christmas reading. You heard some of it during the the Advent, 
as, uh, earlier, a few weeks back, and you also heard it read this morning. Chapter 9, verse 2. Prophet Isaiah says, The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they're glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Get this, and this is on the screen here. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Why? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, if you're a first century Jew who for the last 500 years you have not heard from God, there has been no prophet since Malachi. And there has been 500 years. Before that 500 years, they came out of captivity in Babylon And since that time, Alexander the Great has come and oppressed them. And and one Antiochus, a horrible ruler, has oppressed them. And now they're occupied and they're ruled over by the Romans. One injustice and one occupation and one exile after another. And I ask you, if that's what you're hearing and that's what you're awaiting, what do you think is going to happen? Look at verse 5. Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle and tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned in the fire. Why? Because the child's coming and the government's going to be on his shoulders. When that envelope arrives and you open it and you pull it out, what are you thinking it's going to say? What's the Messiah going to do? He is going to kick butt and take names. There's no way you don't have that, that anticipation. And so when Jesus comes on the very first advent, it's in a manger, not a palace where kings are born. Manger. Does that bring up connotations of just coziness? I mean, when you hear manger, it's it's a sentimental term. We've conditioned it to be a sentimental term. What does the word manger mean? Feeding trough. We have some, some agricultural people here. It's a feeding trough. That's what it is. It kind of diminishes the, the warmth of it all when you say it's a feeding trough, but that's what a manger is. It's a feeding trough. You lie the child, put the child in a feeding trough. So you have a baby born to a Jewish teenage woman and her husband who are, who are virtually in poverty and the child is laid in a feeding trough. Not typically what you'd expect it. But then he comes and he grows into adulthood. And as, as we're going through the, the book of Mark, for those of you that are visiting family and friends from out of town, we've been going through the gospel of Mark. And the gospel of Mark opens with Jesus as an adult walking onto the scene and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. So, so far, so good. All right. He's come. He said, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. This, this looks like Isaiah chapter, chapter 6, or chapter 9, verse 6. 
and the government will be as upon his shoulder, everlasting God, mighty counselor, mighty God, everlasting counselor, prince of peace, that all of those things are fitting into place. Now it's going to happen. Now it's going to happen. And so these band of disciples, they begin to follow him. And not only that, but he has authority. He has authority. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over disease. He has authority over demons. He has authority over the weather. He has the ability to produce food out of fish and loaves to feed thousands of people. This is looking up. Not so much the Jelly of the Month Club. This is looking up. It looks like the kingdom of God is coming and he is going to rule. And then he tells his disciples that when he comes into when he comes into his glory, that they will sit on 12 thrones and they will rule with him. That's more like it. That's more like it. They're, they're following. Okay, they've anticipated his coming. They've waited for his coming and they've looked forward and longed for Israel to be set free from their oppressors. And then he keeps dropping this, this same phrase over and over. Right after he says to Peter, well, he says to his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they're like, well, some of them say, think you're Elijah, come back from the dead. Some of them think that you're John the Baptist. Some of them think that you're one of the prophets of old or you're the coming prophet. And he says to them, well, who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up, he goes, you're the Christ. That's the Greek word for the Messiah. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says to Peter, I tell you the truth, that was not revealed to you by men, but that was revealed to you by my father in heaven. Awesome! Except for the very next thing that Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I have to go to Jerusalem. And I will be arrested by the chief priests. And I will be tried. And I will be crucified. And on the third day, I will rise again. And Peter says, may it never be so. No, 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 you've got it all wrong. That's not what a Messiah is supposed to do. That's the jelly of the month club. <laughs> that is not according to my plan. That is not what I'm anticipating. How does you going to Jerusalem and dying help liberate our people? That is not what I'm anticipating. It's not on the game plan. But he says it, he tells Peter, Peter, he calls him Satan, get behind me because you are not thinking the things of God. And so Peter's, okay. And they follow him around and they still love him and they still follow him. They're still trying to figure out what's going on, but they're confused. And he keeps saying it again. Mark chapter 8, 30 through 33. That's the first time he said it. Then Mark chapter 9, 30 through 32, he said the exact same thing. And then in Mark 10, 32 through 30, he keeps talking about his death. Yeah, they were doing exactly what that kid's doing. They're crying. This doesn't make any sense. This is not what I anticipated. It's not at all what I anticipated. And then he gives them the lesson. And he gives them the reason for the incarnation. They think that he's there to make everything right, and he is. What do they want? What do they want? What do you want? Here's what man wants. And by man, I mean generically, mankind. Mankind wants all of the bad things to go away. Many of you are here this Christmas season and you're physically struggling 
Or you know someone who's physically struggling and you know that Jesus has the power to heal and you want Jesus to just do what he did in the New Testament. Just say the word and you want that healing. You want it all done right now. Some of you are here this morning and your relationships cause you great pain. Maybe it's because of your past decisions or things that you did or said that you shouldn't have done. Maybe it's not because of what you've done. It's what someone else has done or is doing to you and you just want the pain to go away. You want a new, brand new start and you want that Messiah to fix everything in your relationships. Maybe it's a financial situation. You think that if you could get that $25,000 bonus or the job that would pay you what you need to live on, then and only then could you potentially be fulfilled and happy. Or you look at the world around you and, and, and the anarchy and the chaos and our culture is just getting stranger and stranger and you think to yourself, if the bad people you know, those people. If those people, if we could just get rid of those people, then the world would be a better place. Am I just talking to myself or is, is this, does this resonate, right? This is how we think. They're not any different from us. They want a Messiah who is going to heal people and, and, and overturn the government, you know, drain the swamp. They want the swamp drained. That's what they want. But what's the problem with that? If your goal is to get rid of all the bad people, who, pray tell, is left? Who's left? No one's, no one's left. See, the reason for the incarnation, he tells him, he says, it's not, it's, he, he tells him, listen, you, you, you have this idea of greatness. This is, in the verses that came before. You have this idea of greatness, that you think that greatness is, is sitting on a throne and, and, and having the power to tell people what to do. Let's just start, start with that. How many of you know what you ought to do? Raise your hand. How many of you failed to do it? So knowing what you ought to do and having someone to tell you what you ought to do doesn't change anything, does it? Having a boss with the authority to dock your pay or stick a sword in your face and make you do what you don't want to do is not the solution, but we think it is. So he says, here, you think greatness is Gentiles and the way that they lead and how they lord over those who are underneath them. You think that's what it means to be great, but that's not what it means. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man. Okay, for those of you that weren't here when we talked about the Son of Man a long time ago, not a long time ago, months ago, that's a title. That's a title that the Jews gave to the coming Messiah. It's from Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man will come and he will rule and he will reign. When they hear Son of Man, they think Messiah. So he says... The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what I came to do, guys. That's why I've told you three different times I have to go to Jerusalem and I have to lay down my life. My life is not going to be taken from me. I am going to give it. 
I'm going to give my life for the very people that want to take my life. I know that seems like the jelly of the month club to you. I know that that doesn't seem like it's going to fix all of the world's problems. But it's the only way to fix the world's problems. Why is it the only way to fix the world's problems? Because in the Old Testament, Jeremiah and Ezekiel both said to this, that, that, that God would take the heart of stone from man and give them a heart of flesh that he would put a new spirit within them. You see, the problem with you, the problem with Cousin Eddie, the problem with Clark, the problem with me, the problem with your parents and their parents before them, and the problem with your children is that we were born with hard hearts. We were born with a selfish disposition. We were born with an inclination to want what we want, when we want it, and we don't care who we hurt to get it. That's the way we're born, and that's the way we think. And that's why by 2 p.m. tomorrow afternoon, your children are going to be breaking their siblings' toys and killing one another. That's humanity. And Jesus didn't come to set up a kingdom for them to rule with those little hearts which are currently in a disposition towards rebellion. He came to give his life so that he could die for the sins of the world, so that he could die for your sins so that he could conquer sin and conquer death, so that he could be resurrected, and so that when he was in glory, he could send his Holy Spirit that would indwell and change our hearts. Do you want to know how to make a bad marriage good? Two or three of you are like, do tell. the hearts of the husband and wife must be completely transformed by the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you want to know how to make a bad nation good? The hearts of each and every citizen in that nation need to be transformed so that they begin to live for their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And they recognize that it's more blessed to give than receive. There is no government... There is no political leader. There is no change in circumstance which can change a person's heart. The only thing that can change a person's heart is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the reason for the incarnation. Do you know what the incarnation means? The incarnation means that God, God, the creator of the universe the creator of the universe that, that's eternal, that, that existed in eternity past and will exist in eternity future. There's no beginning. There's no end. This God, which is self-sufficient, which has no needs, which is not dependent upon anything other than himself, that exists in a triune personality, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This God created man in his image. Genesis chapter 1. Let us make man in our image. So in the image of God, he created the male and female, and he said, it is good. But they rebelled, and here we all are. And the verse that was read right before I got up to preach, John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word of God, that is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God became flesh. That's the incarnation. Why did he become flesh? Right there, to give his life as a ransom for many. In John chapter 1, verse 12, John says this, Yet to all who receive him, 
to those who believe in his name, that is Jesus Christ. He's given them the right to become children of God. Children not born of a husband or born of a father, but born of the Holy Spirit. So on this Christmas season, have you received the gift that keeps on giving? And it's not the jelly of the month club. Have you received Christ? The answer to that question is yes or no. Some of you are like, I'm not sure. Yet to those who received him, to those who believed in his name. What does it mean to believe in the name of Jesus? It, it's more than simply acknowledging that there was a historical man that was born and he was placed in a feeding trough. And that that guy grew up and that he fulfilled the law and he died on a cross and he rose again. Those are historical data points. It includes that. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. To receive him, to believe in his name, recognizes, it, it means that you know that you need him. That's the only qualification. The only qualification for receiving this gift of eternal life is knowing that you need it. And how do you know that you need it? You look in the mirror and you look and you say, I'm screwed up. I can't do this on my own. I need a savior. I need someone to deliver me. Someone to heal my heart. Someone to give me a new heart. Someone to change my heart. I need someone to wash away my sins. And if that is you this, this morning, I would encourage you, implore you to place your faith and place your hope in the living Savior, Savior Jesus Christ. Advent means, means arrival. You say, well, Brooks, I, I'm, I'm confused because that passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it, it seems like there's a triumphal reigning. And it doesn't, I look around the world and it doesn't seem like Christ is triumphantly reigning. Arrival, the advent's not over. When he rose again, before he rose again, he told his disciples, he says, I'm coming back. I am coming back. My first advent or arrival was to atone for the sins of man, to give my life as a ransom for many. But I'm going to come back someday and I'm going to come and I'm going to claim my bride. And we're going to sit down and we're going to have a feast. We're going to have a celebration. We are going to celebrate at the wedding supper of the Lamb. I'm not coming the second time to atone for sin. I'm coming to judge sin. When he returns, his bride will wait and long for his coming. And those that won't, will experience wrath and judgment. So he hasn't consummated his coming. So we're still waiting. On this celebration of the first advent, we celebrate and we long for the second advent. That's the reason for the season. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you that that son fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law that we could never fulfill and that he paid for sin that we could never pay for ourselves. I pray, Spirit, that you would encourage each and every heart and that you would move people to faith. And I pray that as we celebrate your coming, we would also long for your return. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. God bless, go in grace, and have a Merry Christmas.